If you would please take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 as we begin our message in a lengthy series on forgiveness. The fundamentals of forgiveness. Now I read a large portion of this text to you a few moments ago. But if you would please look at verse 5. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. For those who are, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to. To do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you know what's going on here. He's creating a contrast. You have those who have their minds set on the things of the flesh, you have those who live in accordance with the flesh. Verse 9 However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death, mortifying the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I ask you, who are the sons of God? Those who are being led by the Spirit. I say to you that this is a capsulization of that which we have been seeing in our study on forgiveness, suggesting that there will be evidence of Forgiveness in the life of every man, every woman, every boy, or every girl who has been saved by the grace of God. They are characterized as one who is living by the Spirit. And if you are not being led by the Spirit, if your heart and your mind are inclined to the things of the flesh, it says you are dead. You cannot please God. So there is a contrast. Those who are saved live in accordance with the Spirit, and those who are lost in accordance to the flesh. It is not to say that when you are saved, you become perfect or sinless, but you strive in your life to live according to the Spirit. It is the lifelong desire and the lifelong characterization of a forgiven man, of a forgiven woman, that they will live by the Spirit. 
I think that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. Live by the Spirit if you're saved. Live by the Spirit if you're forgiven. If you're not, if you're living to the things of the world and the flesh, you're dead. Okay? What does that mean? All right? What on earth does that mean to us? Or let's say, how will that manifest itself in our lives? If you're living to the flesh, what will you be like? You'll be living to the things of sin and wickedness. If you're living to the Spirit, what will you be like? Well, the Bible tells us. And I want to ask you at this time to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians, chapter 5. I believe that this is what we have been seeing under the third major heading in our study that we've entitled The Fundamentals of Forgiveness, that there will be evidence of forgiveness. And it can be summarized by saying we'll live in accordance with the Spirit. But we've been looking at some particulars as to what that will mean in the life of a child of God who is genuinely one who is saved and forgiven. The first one we saw is that there will be love for God, love for Jesus. When you understand what God has done for you in the sending of His Son, which we've just kind of celebrated, when you understand what it means for Christ to have left glory and come to earth, lived a spotless, sinless life, and to give His life on the cross, a sacrificial death on your behalf, how could you not love Him for doing that? There will be love from a genuinely forgiven man. Secondly, we saw that there will be thanks to God and thanks to Jesus for what He has done on your behalf. How could you not thank Him for saving you from hell? And the third one we saw was that we will be worshipers of God and of Jesus. The one who says that he loves God, the one who says that he has been forgiven by God, but doesn't go to church, or who goes dragging and kicking and screaming and can't wait to get out at 12 o'clock. There is evidence that that man is living by the flesh, not the spirit. For one who is saved, who loves God, who is thankful to God, will want to worship him, will want to come and to express the joy and the praise to God that is in his heart for all that God has done for him. And so we love going to church. We love to hear the word of God. We love to sing praises to God because he's the one who saved us. And we go to worship him. And then last time we looked at the fact that not only will there be love and thanks and worship, there will be a forgiving Nature, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, it's commonly called, that you will forgive as your Father has forgiven you. If you've been forgiven, you will be one who forgives. It is part of our love for Christ. It is part of our understanding of our salvation. We looked at that text where the wicked servant was forgiven an insurmountable debt. And yet he would not forgive one just a few shekels. We have an insurmountable sin debt that has been paid 
by our loving Father. And so we, therefore, will be those who are characterized as forgiving others. Remember Peter said, up to seven times? No, I say 70 times seven, which means it is a lifestyle. It goes on forever. You will be characterized as a forgiving person. We left off with the last one seeing that when we are forgiven, we will tell the world who forgave us. We will be evangelical. We'll want to tell our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers of the joy that we have experienced in Christ and our salvation. And that brings us to our next area, our next two areas actually. I want to finish up this series by picking up with what was said in Romans 8 and seeing it here in Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 22, as the Apostle Paul here says, but the fruit of the Spirit, remember, if you're saved, if you're living by the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit will be love. Now we've already seen that one. We've dealt with the whole matter of love. We spent several weeks understanding what it means for a Christian to love God and to love his brother and sister. But here we move on today to the next two. Joy and peace. And I'm going to beg your liberty and we're actually going to take them in reverse order. So we're going to start by looking at what we find here that peace is one of the gifts of the Spirit. If you have been saved, if you have been forgiven, you will have peace. One of the gifts of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the evidences of a man or a woman who is forgiven and living by the Spirit is that they will have within them peace. Now, the word peace, arene in the Greek, can mean several different things, as even in our own English language. You know that the, uh, we, when we talk of peace, a lot of times today, you're, you're talking of the absence of war. If a nation is at peace, it is the absence of war. And of course, all these beauty contestants will tell you that which is most necessary is world peace. So that term sometimes means world peace and the absence of war. It can also mean such things as the harmony between men and even security in your home. Peace. But here the meaning of the word peace is different. It is the peace that the Messiah brings or it is Christ's peace in you. It is the tranquil state of your soul brought about through salvation in Christ. Look back to verse 16. We read similarly to Romans 8. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality and impurity. And he goes through this whole list of 
evil things. And then the contrast again in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is. So once again, this contrast is given between those who are living by the Spirit and those who live according to the flesh. And those who live by the Spirit are, what we said from Romans chapter 8, saved. Born again. Forgiven men and women. And if you're not living by the Spirit, he said in Romans 8, you're dead. You're lost. You cannot please God. It's a very important contrast. Think in your own life even now. Where are your desires? What takes up the bent of your life? The time of your day? Is it living for the Spirit or living for the flesh? And if it's living for the flesh, the Bible says you're dead. And that's eternal death. But living for the Spirit, that means you're forgiven and you're saved. And one of the fruits then will be peace. And so we know here he's speaking about the peace in your salvation, as opposed to the one who lives according to the flesh. So he's talking about that peace, that inner peace, that tranquil state of your soul that comes because your soul has been forgiven and you will not taste death. That is the second death. This is a special peace known only to those who have truly been forgiven. Because once you have been forgiven, you recognize and you realize that you will not have to suffer the wrath of God, that no matter what else may happen to you, you have this peace within you. And this is even one of the reasons Jesus came. Now, if you would, please turn back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. People have been singing about this. Even lost people have been singing about this. Glory to God in the highest. This is what the angels came and spoke to the shepherds. Verse 13 in Luke 2. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace. The Messiah came to bring peace. It's part of the reason that Jesus came. And we'll see, he even expresses this. But I like what was said by our brother in his prayer. And I wanted to make sure we all saw from this verse, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Who on earth is that? Who pleases God? You know, if you ask the average person today on the street, you say, hey, who pleases God? They'll say somebody like, I don't know, Mother Teresa or the Pope or somebody like that. They're on their way to hell. Uh, one's already there. That's not how you please God by good works and religious living. There is no way you can please God in your life. I have a cousin who's been 
texting recently and he speaks about people being, well, they're good people as opposed to some who are not good people or bad people. And I want to take him and go, there are no good people. No such thing as good people. We're all sinners. We're all worthy of the indictment and punishment of hell. All of us. The only way you can please God is if by His mercy He saves you. By His grace if He saves you through the work of His Son Jesus Christ. And His blood covers your sin and your iniquity. And when God looks at you, He does not see your sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son Jesus. And that's the only way you can ever be pleasing to God. And that's what He's talking about. Because as we saw last week from the scriptures in Matthew, Jesus came to save His people from their sins. His people from their sins. To cover our sins with His righteousness. The angel tells them though that we are those with whom He is well pleased. But let's see something even more amazing. Let's turn to John chapter 14. Yes, indeed, Jesus came to bring peace according to the angels at his birth. But let's hear from our Lord himself in John chapter 14. Look down, if you would, please, and we'll just have time to touch on a few verses as we go through. He speaks, first of all, in verse 26 of John 14, that the Holy Spirit is going to come, the Helper The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Isn't that amazing? The third person of the triune God is going to come as God sends Him to His people. Now why is Jesus telling His disciples this? He's telling His disciples this here because He's about to leave. He's about to go away. You remember in the beginning of this chapter, he tells them that he's going away. And he says in verse 4, And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How How do you say that we know the way? And then he tells them, I am the way and the truth. But he's telling the disciples he's about to go. And we know what's going to happen. In a few days from now, hours from now, he's going to, be captured. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be beaten. He's going to go through these mock trials. And ultimately, he's going to be crucified, raised on the cross, his blood oozing from his head, from his back, pouring from his wrists as he hangs on the cross, ultimately pierced in his side by one of the soldiers. He's going to give His life, a ransom for many. Then he will be buried and on the third day raised again from the dead. And then again, ultimately, ascending back into heaven. So just weeks from now, from the time Jesus is saying that, he will be ascended back into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And they're going, wait a minute, what are we going to do? What are we going to do without you? He said, don't worry. The helper is going to come. 
I'm going to send you the helper. But look what he says next. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why? Because I'm giving you peace. My peace. Can you imagine having the peace of Jesus in your heart? And yet that is what he says is about to happen to them. He's leaving and he's going to give them not only the Holy Spirit, but he's going to give them peace. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. What must it have been like to be one of the disciples walking with Jesus for the three plus years that they were with him? What must it have been like? What confidence, what peace they must have had. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We're going back to John if you want to leave a marker there, but look at Matthew chapter 8. When the disciples were with our Lord, they were invincible. Right? They were invincible. So here we have this account in Matthew chapter 8. Look down to verse 23. They get into a boat and his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm. Now, this is not just a storm. This is a great storm. They had some pretty bad storms just yesterday, I understand, in Texas and some places like that. Storms that come in and knock houses down. Several people were killed. This is what was typically called a nor'easter that would come in over the lake and swooped down upon the lake. It was a great storm. It was a dangerous storm. And even those fishermen who were seasoned and experienced had problems with this and died because of some of these storms. And here's this great storm. And the disciples are upset. And they, he's asleep. He's asleep in the front or in the back of the ship. And his disciples come and wake him up. Save us, Lord! Save us! We're perishing! They're all worried. And what does he say? Why? Why? Why are you afraid? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I am God incarnate? Don't you know that I am God who came to save his people from their sins? I'm not going to die in a storm. And if you're with me, neither are you. Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. What would you say if that happened? Just what the disciples said. Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is it? God. It's God. Why are you afraid if you're walking with God? You kids, you walk with God, you don't have to be afraid of the dark. There's no boogeyman. No monsters that are going to get you. No. You walk with Jesus and you can have 
peace and confidence. You go on into this same gospel and the other gospels as well. What, what happened when the disciples were hungry and had no food? He fed them. They had nothing to worry about. They were with Jesus. What happened to the disciples when Jesus stood up in front of the Pharisees and got right in their face and said, Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And they're going, don't you know you're offending them when you do that? Well, what happened? Nothing. What happened when he was arrested? What happened to them? Nothing. Because he protected them. Now their time did come to give their lives in uh, the spread of the gospel. But they had peace because they were with Jesus. You can have complete confidence and complete peace in your heart because you are with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What can men do to you when you have God? If you would, please take your Bibles again. Go back to chapter 14 of John. John chapter 14 again. And just listen to what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. My peace. In other words, that same peace that you had when you walked with me, I'm giving to you. Now you say, but I never walked with Jesus. You read his book. You know what it is like. You have a great account of what it is like to be with Jesus and to walk with Jesus from the scripture that he gave to you. You think it's an accident that you have a reliable, trustworthy, infallible Bible? It's no accident. It's the work of God. It's the providence of God so that you can have Peace, knowing it's true, knowing it's real, as if you yourself had walked with him there in Galilee. Look over a couple of pages to chapter 16, John 16. There's a great familiar passage down to verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Though we may face horrible things happening even today, and they seem to get worse and worse and worse. And what are the answers of the world to people when these horrible things are happening? Well, wear a ribbon. If you wear this ribbon, it shows you care and you're concerned about crime. Or one of the mayors of our local community marched through the community with the people to show that he cares. And what happened? Last night, another kid got shot, killed. Horrible things happening. We don't need to march. We don't need to wear ribbons. We need Jesus. We need Jesus in our hearts and in our lives to give us confidence and strength and peace, knowing that no matter what may happen, we have our Savior in our lives so that at the very end of things, 
Jesus. We will be with him. This is a gospel of peace. You realize that? It is good news. That's what gospel means. It is the good news that God has sent his son Jesus into the world to save his people from their sins. And those people who are forgiven and who are saved by this wonderful Savior have the peace and the confidence of knowing that no matter what may happen in this world, He has overcome the world for you and for me. And what that means ultimately is, though they slay me, yet I will trust in Him. Though they kill me, what can they do? I'll just go to heaven forever. Not a bad scenario. So it gives you great confidence and great peace, and it really alleviates a lot of the fear of man. And that even goes for when you're uh, around some of your, uh, shall we say, unsaved relatives. Some of the biggest fears I have is going to see my family sometimes. But if you have Christ and you have Christ in you, you can have peace even in some of those awkward situations. And sometimes he helps me to keep my mouth shut. All right. This is the gospel of peace that he has left for us. But I want to point something out really quickly before we move on. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. We're going back and forth between John and Matthew. But this time Matthew chapter 10. Because I want you to see for sure that the peace that Christ speaks of bringing is not universal. It's not universal. Even as we saw last week when he said, I came to save my people from their sins. Not everybody is my people. He came to save his people, and that's not everybody. We don't believe in a universal salvation. Few are on the narrow road. Few are his people. And here we find in Matthew chapter 10, our Lord speaking about this thing called peace. And you look down to verse 34. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. What? Our pastors just said you did. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The man's enemies will be the enemies of his household. That's what I was just talking about. I go into a house with my family, and there were, last night, only two saved people in that whole house. Me and my son, who was with me. Two people, and the rest were lost. And they showed it. They lived according to the flesh. It was evident. And I pray that my son and I lived according to the Spirit. And I believe that was evident to them. I had several opportunities to talk about our church and brag on you. I had several opportunities to speak about the things of God to these people, all of whom I know were lost. This is 
the setting against one another that Jesus is talking about. A man's enemies will be his own household. Some of you may have loved ones that you know are lost. Now, we don't think of them as violent enemies that we're going to shoot or throw spears at or anything like that. But in terms of the gospel, in terms of light and darkness, we're enemies. Our king is King Jesus. Their king is Satan, the devil. We serve our king, they serve their king. So in that sense, we are enemies. And so Jesus did not come to bring peace to everyone. But remember what the angel said to those with whom he is pleased. And who is that? Save people. The only ones that can please God are those who live according to the Spirit. And the only ones who live according to the Spirit are those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, forgiven, set free. And there will be evidence. There will be evidence. So he did not come to bring peace to everyone. He never said that. But there will always be a battle between the people of God and the people of the world. At least there should be. What we have today is a generation that has been raised in a church that has become much like the world, much like the government, where you just got to get along with everybody. You just got to get along, get along. So you can't have a dogmatic opinion about the Word of God and truth because that might offend somebody. You can't tell people that they're sinners and on their way to hell because that might offend somebody. we got to just get along. Do you hear that in this passage? I did not come to bring peace but a sword. I came to set a man against his father and against uh, his, uh, let's say, pastor. Or, uh, there's a war. There's a battle. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Are you worthy of him? How are you worthy? With those with whom I am well pleased. Those are worthy. How are you worthy? You can't be worthy of your works. You're only worthy if you're saved by the grace of God. And when you are saved, there will be evidence. And it will actually work even into your own family. And that's sometimes a sad and a difficult situation. But we are to be those as he says in verse 40, who receive him. And the one who receives him receives the one who sent him. People aren't going to like us for that. People aren't going to like you for that. There's a lot of people that don't like this church. I'm sorry, not really, but they, they don't like the fact that we don't give Invitations. They don't like the fact that I preach too long. They don't like the fact that we don't have a big choir or a music program. They don't like the fact that we don't have special lighting. Well, once in a while that one blinks. 
That's about it. They don't, they don't like the fact that we are concerned about doctrine and that we're concerned about Bible and Scripture compared to Scripture. They don't like this stuff. They think it should be uh, bending arms and twisting arms to get them to come down an aisle, to build up numbers and to build a big church. Well, there's plenty of those places around. We try to be more according to what our Lord said. Receiving Him dealing with the things of his kingdom, focusing upon his word. There's a battle between the people of God and the people of the world. And the world is fighting hard against God today, fighting hard against his people. And although they hate his word, and they may hate us, God help us never to waver, to stand firm, never to stop, never to back down, to always stand for King Jesus, no matter what, because we have the peace of knowing that we please Him, not the world. That doesn't matter. Remember what He said. He has overcome the world. That's what we saw in John 16. Take courage. I have overcome the world. So no matter how bad it may get, we have His peace because we have His redeeming blood. If you have been saved by the blood of Christ, you should have peace because that's what He gives to us. And no one can take that redemption from you. So no one should be able to take your peace from you. No matter how bad it gets, you should have peace because you have salvation. Salvation in Christ. Now this leads to our last point under the whole matter of peace. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. The last chapter of Philippians. And I like the way the Apostle Paul puts it here. Down at verse 7. Well, we'll start at verse 6. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. See that? You don't have to worry about the dark. You don't have to worry about the boogeyman. You don't have to be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See, you don't have to be anxious about things. You go to God. You go to your Father. You go to Him with your concerns. And look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's look at that a little bit. Look at this text for just a few minutes. We're talking about the peace of God. We're talking about the peace of God that comes only from being saved by God. When you're saved by God, you can fight any battle. You can go with no fear. I remember years ago, there used to be a uh, thing that said, no fear. 
and people would, you know, have pickup trucks that have it in the back window. No fear. You know, this is a big deal, no fear. And then the Christians came out with one that said, no fear, K-N-O-W, know the fear of God, and you will have no fear. So it's no fear, K-N-O-W, and then N-O, no fear. And that's true. The Christians fear God. The Christians who are saved and know God have that awe, that reverence, and that fear for God. And so we fear no man. No fear and no fear. So he says, be anxious for nothing. We, have, we don't have to be anxious for anything, but we have the peace that God gives us when he saves us by his grace. He imparts that Holy Spirit and His peace. His peace. And so we are not fearful. We are not anxious. We have the peace of God. And then he says, which surpasses all comprehension. What does he mean by that? Well, first of all, it does surpass our comprehension that God could love us so much to save an unworthy sinner. That God could take this guy who was on his uh, radio career and, you know, stop people in their tracks. The, the wicked Saul condemning and persecuting and putting Christians to death. Stop them in their tracks and save them by His grace. And that passes my comprehension. That's why would he do this to me? I'm unworthy. God, why would you save me? I am an unworthy sinner. I don't deserve your grace. And so in that sense, his grace and his mercy and the fact that he gives me that peace is beyond my comprehension. But I don't think this is so much for us. I think this is for the world. Because they look at us and think we're crazy. You Bible-thumping fools. You think you're, you're so smug and you think you're going to go to heaven and you think there's life after death and the only way is through Jesus. Well, you're just a bunch of dummies. It passes their comprehension. They cannot fathom the fact that you can have peace in the midst of a violent, wicked world. That you can have peace when you're going through death by cancer. That you can have peace when God takes your child home at a young age. That you can have peace in any situation, in any circumstance. How can you have this peace? You're crazy! They don't get it. They don't understand what it means to have a God of mercy save you from your sins. A God of mercy draw you to himself, put his loving arms around you and say, My son, my daughter, my son Jesus has given his life, his blood for you. And you, no matter what may happen, will come to be with me in glory. Have my peace. That boggles the world's mind. Now it may boggle our mind too that he would do that to unworthy sinners. But it doesn't boggle our minds to understand that he has done it. He's done it. I know he has done it because I live this peace. I have this peace. I pray that you 
have this peace as well. Now, I had anticipated uh, finishing the series today. I never did get to joy. Next week, we'll have joy, all right? You can have joy in the meantime, but next week we will focus on that from the Scriptures. I don't want to leave it out because I want you to know that I am not the kind of man that thinks a church should be morbid. Doctrinally sound, but we need to rejoice in what God has done in us. Amen? Let's pray.